Hello. It is Sunday, August 22nd. I am Trent Reinsmith, and this is the UFC Vegas 34 wrap-up, recap, whatever you want to call it. UFC Vegas 34, Cannoneer versus Gastel. I'm going to go over most of the fights, not all of the fights, not a lot to discuss outside the fights, and other than, you know, the the elephant in the room, which is Jared Cannoneer sounding off about his pay or lack thereof, or money, or lack thereof, and I will cover that at the end. So let's jump into the fight card. The prelims really set the tone here, um, and then it dropped off pretty quickly after the first fight in the on the main card. Prelims were excellent, a lot of finishes, a lot of action, but the problem was that there was no names on the prelims. Now I know this will fall under the... Uh, you never know if it's going to be a good card until it happens heading, which we see often. But I don't think that's a good thing always. So if you're given the choice, you look at this card and you see a bunch of people you don't recognize. I follow, I you know work in this sport and I recognized two names on the prelims before the, the event. And that was Roosevelt Roberts and Brian Kelleher. Those were the names I knew, remembered. I could picture the fighters in my head when I saw those names. Outside of that, nobody really. Well, nobody actually. So had I not been working the event, I would not have watched it. And I would have watched it the next day because everyone would have been ranting about how good the prelims were. And so that's kind of the problem we're in here. The problem is that if there's no names on the card, there's no real reason for the on the fence fight fan to watch. That's just the way it is. So if you want fight fans to watch the, the events as they happen, as they're live, you're gonna give them. You're gonna need to give them a reason to do so, and name recognition is that reason. And without name recognition, there's really no reason to to watch the fight cards live. You can catch them on the next day or not at all if there's nothing outstanding about them. I'm sure I would bet the ratings for. The prelims are going to be as good or maybe even better on Sunday than they were on Saturday for the event just because of how good they were and people talking about them. So the thing with the UFC and ESPN is if they're not giving you a reason to tune in, you don't need to tune in. And they're still going to get paid the same no matter what. So whether you tune in or not, UFC is going to get paid the same from ESPN. Now if you get enough of the not tuning in events... You're maybe think about you know dropping your your ESPN Plus subscription for a while, or for good, and that's a problem. It's not a problem right now, but it could become a problem. And the UFC does not care about that because they get paid the same, no matter if you watch or if you don't watch. There's a there's a rate, and I've talked about this a little more. And maybe ESPN or whoever the next broadcast partner is needs to fix that. And by fix that, I mean you maybe get the pay structure related to people who tune in because you can tell who's tuning in, no doubt about that. Maybe tie it to that. And maybe that entices the UFC to put on better cards. Because if you looked at this card without without really paying any attention to it, you probably would have skipped it unless you're a diehard fan. Uh, I probably would have skipped it. And... I've been watching UFC for a long time. And what does that say? 
So if you don't give the people a reason to tune in live, they're not gonna. And UFC, ESPN, well, I, I think ESPN cares. I don't think the UFC cares because their money is the same no matter what. So that's something to think about for the broadcast partners, I believe. And fans too, because if you if you get enough fight cards in a row that you're not tuning into, you could probably use that couple extra bucks a month to do something you want to do. So we'll see how this plays out. I don't think it's a big problem right now. It could become a problem in the future, especially if the numbers of subscriptions start to dwindle. So we'll see. Uh, first fight of the night, uh, Ram Ramiz Brahamaj. Um, he had fought, not fought for nearly a year after a loss to Max Griffin in his UFC debut. He looked excellent. He dismantled his opponent from top to bottom, from start to finish. He was calm, cool, took advantage of every mistake his opponent made, took advantage of every position his opponent gave him, passed from full guard to half guard, and then to mount with no problem. It was so slick, so good. Um, and when his opponent gave up his back, he sank in that choke um, and uh, ended the fight. So he's 28 years old, probably going to hopefully be a little more active. And so he's a welterweight you want to keep an eye on for sure. Ignacio Bahamandes um, fought Roosevelt Roberts, ate a lot of uh, jabs from Roberts, bloodied him up, cut him up, but never stopped him from moving forward. Never stopped them from landing the more powerful strikes, the more impactful strikes, the ones that score. Um, never took his foot off the gas. Always was pushing Roberts off his back foot. Um, even when he was getting touched up by those jabs, he was still pushing forward. Uh, his striking was more varied than Roberts. He had more success than Roberts. Roberts could only really land that jab because he was continuously backing up. And sure, it did damage, but it wasn't... It was more superficial damage. It was just, you know, it was just cutting him up from impact. It wasn't really hurting him. It was just cuts to the scar tissue. It was breaking down the scar tissue. It wasn't damage that was going to end the fight. Uh, so, Roberts was unable to get the takedowns, which was a big, another big reason that Brahamandes wasn't in, in the lead on this one. And the finish was just fantastic. He probably could have coasted for a win. He did not. He landed that kick with under 10 seconds left in the round. I think it was the third latest stoppage uh, knockout in a welterweight UFC welterweight fight. But it just starched Roberts. And I think Roberts is going to now have to maybe consider life outside the UFC. Uh, Roberts is not a bad fighter. He just can't seem to get any traction going. Maybe he needs to change camps. I don't know. Um, I was high on him when he came into the UFC. He looked good. I had a good personality, was good on the mic, but he just is struggling, so maybe he needs a reset. But I would not be surprised if he's no longer with the UFC, and I would also not be surprised if that knockout wasn't in the running for knockout of the year. William Knight. William Knight uh, did not have the best striking defense, but then again, William Knight did not need the best striking defense. If you watch Knight, who is just one huge muscle um, when he gets hit he looks irritated and he gets hit and then he just backs up straight back chin in the air so if he fights a, a good fighter who can take advantage of that he could be in deep trouble 
he was not in deep trouble on Saturday. I still am stunned by how he got his knockout win. He didn't even, I mean, his arm was stiff when he threw the punch. There was, it was thrown, I think, from, it was already, his arm was already in front of him when he was throwing the punch. It just landed at the perfect spot, perfect timing. I, I am stunned by how much power that guy can generate in just that one small area that he was moving his arm. And it was a nasty, nasty knockout. Um, impressive. Knight is going to need to do a little bit better on his defense, maybe. If he can keep catching people like that, his defense isn't really going to be a factor because as long as he doesn't get one-punch knockout, he's not going to need it with that kind of power. Josiane Nunes, who she made her UFC debut, she was at a huge height and reach disadvantage against Bay Malecki. And Malecki looked like she did not know what to do with that height and reach advantage. And Nunez had a great game plan, and that game plan was just bull rush in, give her, give Malecki no room to work, and just headhunt, and it worked. Uh, she probably could have went to the body a lot more because the body was open, uh, but she scored a very nice knockout, and um, it was the kind of UFC debut fighters dream about. She was just not... She looked overmatched from the physical stature, but she just forced her will and won that fight on just brute power, strength, and aggression. Uh, excellent, excellent UFC debut. Uh, Malecki, I don't... We, we, throw away, we throw around that phrase UFC quality. Um, I don't think she's UFC quality right now, um, but we'll see what happens with her, but she just didn't look like she knew what to do against someone that was just rushing into her and, and swinging away and punching her in the head nonstop. But Nunez, Nunez looked real good, uh, very impressive. Brian Kelleher, his plan against Domingo Pilarte seemed to be set up a takedown with his strikes and then get that takedown and then just round and pound and just keep himself busy on the ground land strikes and keep the fight from getting back to the feet and for the most part that is what happened I think he scored a takedown early in each of the three rounds he had a little difficulty in one round where Pilarte um, swept him but Kelleher's aggression to get off his back and not give up any positions paid dividends in that um, he was just super super uh, comfortable inside the guard on the ground landing short strikes, hurting Pilarte, and Pilarte didn't, he, if he had a backup plan, he either could not enact it or he didn't even try to do it because he just seemed to be accepting of the position on his back. Um, he didn't really work to get to his feet except for the one time when he did. Uh, other than that, he was just accepting of getting beaten up. Kelleher looked good, but Kelleher was, that was the kind of fight Kelleher wanted and got, but Let's not forget that he put that fight there. He got that takedown, put Pilarte on the mat, and beat him up. So Kelleher did what he wanted to do and got the win. Good win from him. I could have done without the uh, vagina tattoo reference for uh, when he called out um, Sean O'Malley. But, you know, what can you do? It was, it was crass. It was dumb. It, didn't, it was just stupid. But... 
it is what it is. It's out there now. Uh, Kelleher, I think, would give O'Malley fits. I don't expect that fight to happen. Um, Kelleher, I think, would, if he got O'Malley to the mat, I think he's too too powerful down there, and I think he would give O'Malley some trouble. O'Malley is, I don't know, uh, it's going to be interesting to follow him, uh, to see what's going to happen here. He's a big question mark in, in many ways, a big question mark in many ways. Kelleher, we know what you're getting out of him. Gritty, nasty, grind it out, going to beat you up if he gets the opportunity, and that's what he did on Saturday night. Austin Lingo had a Tough first round against Louis Saldana. Um, Saldana hurt Lingo with the striking, but MMA, sport where toughness, tenacity, and the ability to recover and keep moving uh, rewards uh, rewards people, and Lingo was rewarded by doing just that. Uh, Saldana faded after the first round, and Lingo did not. Uh, stayed pressuring, and the toughness and tenacity were the, were the reasons that he got the win. Um, so Saldana, I think, learned a lesson. Lingo is the kind of guy he might not get to the top of the division, but he's going to let you know and remind you that you're going to have to fight him for the full full distance if you're going to want if you want to beat him. Alexander Pantoja and Brandon Royval. Now that fight, that fight was draining just watching it. The first round was five minutes of all action. Uh, Pantoja wanted to keep the fight on the ground. Roy Val did not want to be there and just uh, just movement, 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 movement. Uh, did whatever he could to hopefully try to tire Pantoja out. He failed to do so, and Pantoja uh, got a nice near rear naked choke in the second round. Uh, he never got shook. He never uh, got stressed out by Roy Val's movement and action. And now he's probably going to be in a title fight against Brandon Moreno, a man who he has beaten twice. Uh, he's got a decision win over him and I think a submission win over him. A very respectful call out from Pantoja, um, pointing out that he believed that he was one of the reasons that Moreno won the title because the losses to him helped Moreno get better. He said he liked him, but he was going to call him out and he wanted to remind him that he had beaten him twice. I think that'll be a very enjoyable fight. If I had a pick, top of my head, I would pick I would pick Pantoja to get the third win there. But I will be looking forward to that fight, and and the lead up should be you know fun, in a way that's kind of entertaining in a low key, respectful kind of way. I much prefer that than two jabbering idiots, screaming stupidity at each other. So I look forward to that in every way. Uh, Vince Pichel, 38 years old. Uh, and he's a lightweight, I believe, and he's getting better, which at 38 should not be happening. But now Pichel is on a three-fight winning streak, um, and he looked very good in beating up the 29-year-old Austin Hubbard. Um, he's tough. He's got a lot of power. He seemed to have reined that power in a little bit, which gives him better cardio. Uh, and he's not probably not going to end up in the top 15 with this win, but... He is also someone who is going to let you know that you're in a 15-minute fight with him. So at 38, Prashel's clock is definitely ticking, but he's definitely getting better. And sooner or later, that, that time will catch up with him. 
but it is not probably going to be 2021. So I look forward to seeing Vince Pichel and his massive mustache uh, again in uh, 2021, hopefully. But he looked very, 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 very good. Marco Madsen. Here's what happened to Marco Madsen since the last time he fought. Uh, he had two surgeries on his jaw. The second one came after I think it was an infection took place and he had to get a, uh, another surgery there. He tested positive for COVID-19. His wife was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and his family had to move out of their home because of a black mold infestation. It was not a good time between fights for Marco Madsen. Um, he could have gave up. He could have packed it in and just got, you know, got a straight gig somewhere. Um, he's an Olympic athlete, uh, an Olympic silver medalist, so he probably would have been able to land on his feet outside of MMA, but he stuck with it, and he got a, uh, a good win over Clay Guida on Saturday. Uh, it wasn't, you know, the most exciting fight, but it is a win, and it kept Marco Madsen unbeaten, and he called out Gregor Gillespie, which... Uh, be an interesting matchup in wrestling styles. Um, Marco Madsen is a Greco-Roman, and I think Gillespie, um, f a freestyle or scholastic collegiate, I'm not sure, but he's, he's definitely an American wrestler, so he is not probably a Greco wrestler. But Madsen is, so different matchup, different, different strengths and weaknesses. Uh, should be an interesting fight if that one happens. But for what... Madsen overcame to, to, to get the win, even to get to the fight. Impressive and speaks a lot about um, him as a person. Jared Karanir fought five rounds for the first time in his UFC career on Saturday. He looked good, not great, in defeating Calvin Gaslam. He didn't fade. He maybe threw a few less leg kicks than he had in the past, but he kept his cardio intact. He paced himself well and he got the win over Gaslam and which should set him up to be in line for a title fight the problem being that we do not know when Israel Adesanya and Robert Whittaker are going to fight and we know that after the fight in the cage Cannoneer told Daniel Cormier that he was broke and that he needed the fight so he didn't know if he was going to be able to wait for that title fight so uh, that is where the UFC event took a huge turn for the worse. And the fallout for this should be that why is the number three middleweight who has 12 fights in the UFC now broke? So I want to stress, we do not know what Cannoneer makes. He hasn't had a disclosed payday since 2017. I had a lot of people on Twitter coming in, coming on, on uh, my timeline and telling me how much Cannoneer makes. You do not know that. Any site that publishes uh, um, payroll payouts for UFC events, make sure you look at where they get the source for those payouts. And I would bet you 99.9% .9 of them are estimating those payouts, which is fine for... Well, I don't know. It's not really not fine. It's it's more annoying because when you estimate something, it tends to get taken as gospel, and people tend to say, oh, well, Cannoneer made X amount of money over the last two years. No, you don't know what he made at all. You know what he made in 2017 when his last pay, will pay what payout was disclosed by an athletic commission. Other than that, 
You have no idea. You have no concept. You have no clue. Pay is not disclosed hardly anywhere anymore. Uh, it's not disclosed in Texas. It's not disclosed in Florida. It's not disclosed in Nevada. California discloses it. Arizona, you have to do a FOIA request for it. Anywhere outside of the United States, I think it's not disclosed, definitely not disclosed from Fight Island. And so all these sites that are saying that they know what fighters are getting paid, read the fine print. They do not know. They're estimating. They're guessing. Ignore that for any kind of discussion because it is useless and it doesn't do anything for anyone except make things more confusing and just muddles the whole conversation. If you want to discuss fighter pay and bring up fighter pay from a site that doesn't have actual pay, I'm not going to listen to you. And no one should listen to you because you're taking guesses and bullshit as gospel. Do not do that. Anyway, so the shakeout of all this, the fallout should be, the discussion should be, why are fighters broke? And this should be the discussion all the time, but the UFC controls the narrative, controls most of the media, and its continuous turnover events keeps these discussions from lasting long. And also the fact that fans hear it for so often that it just goes in one ear and out the other. But never forget, this guy, the number three ranked middleweight in the UFC, 12 fights to his name, is broke, according to him, and needs to fight. So the biggest loser on Saturday night should have been the UFC and Dana White. And maybe for a couple hours they were. And maybe for a couple websites they will be. And maybe for a couple fans they will. But big picture, it's not going to last. Should it last, it should always be the topic of discussion. If, if we were in a just world... That would have been the highlight on ESPN Sports Center. A UFC fighter who had just won in a main event, the number three ranked fighter in the middleweight division, saying he can't wait for a title fight because he's broke and needs to fight. The UFC underpays all of its fighters. Even the highest paid fighters are underpaid. I think that is lost on a lot of people. And I think a lot of people don't give a shit either. But they should because sooner or later... The quality is going to drop because uh, the pay is not there. And would you, you know, it takes a special person already to fight. If there's no way to make a living doing it, why do it? Why do it? So um, it was frustrating for Cannoneer, I'm sure. It was disgusting to hear it. But what are the repercussions going to be? Media needs to get better about it. I know it gets old to keep reporting it. And I know it gets old to keep hearing it, but you, you constantly have to discuss it because it is a fact that's not changing. And the UFC needs to be forced to change. More fighters need to speak up. More fighters need to say how much they're getting paid because even if they're getting paid what fans perceive as a lot for one night of work, which is also one of the dumbest statements I've ever heard, uh, you, you think these guys and, and gals just roll up into the cage without training, without taking care of anything, without missing anything in their lives. They just roll up on fight night, fight for 15 minutes or less, and then collect their check and then go back to just hanging out and sitting on the couch. Now, they're professional athletes. They're training year-round. You don't get paid for one night. As Chuck Liddell said, the training, the preparation, the nutrition, the two to three workouts a day, 
the getting the right amount of rest, the missing out on life, the missing out on fun things, that's what you get paid for. The fight night is the reward for the work that goes towards the fight. So you know, people need to understand and get a better grip, grip and grasp on how this fight sport works. I don't know if that's going to happen. My amount of time that I've spent in the sport and arguing these stupid points leads me to believe it's not going to change. But I am not going to keep, I'm not going to stop bringing it up because I think it's uh, disgusting how little the fighters are paid, how little the fighters are respected, how little the fighters are taken care of by the UFC and other uh, promotions. They can't even make them employees to give them health benefits. That's how little they think of them. They're cogs, they're tools, they're replaceable parts. That needs to change. That needs to change as soon as possible. And on that note, I'll be back maybe Monday, maybe Tuesday for the next episode. Uh, but that is the wrap-up from UFC Vegas 34, Cannoneer vs. Gastelum fight card. So until next time, stay safe. <laughs>